0: This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria.
1: Welcome to the Grief Relief Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host and daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi. Hi, Mom. Uh, hi. How you doing? I um, just love the guest we're having on today because he's been on our television show. And so hopefully you'll go to our Open to Hope website and see Alan Klein on our radio show, where he's, I mean our television show, where he's talking a lot about spouse loss. But today we're going to move a little bit beyond that, right, Heidi? Why don't you introduce Alan and our topic?
2: Okay. We are going to talk today about embracing life after loss. And like you said, Alan Klein is our guest. Alan discovered the therapeutic value of humor after his wife died at 34. He now shows others how to lighten up loss. He is a recipient of several speaking awards and the author of 19 books, including The Healing Power of Humor and Learning to Laugh When You Feel Like Crying. Welcome back, Alan.
3: It's wonderful always to be here.
1: (laughs) I'm really lucky today because Alan's in the studio and I get to look at his smiling face. (laughs) 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 And we get to laugh together because... uh, Alan is a Jollyontologist, right, Alan?
3: A little change there. Jollytologist.
1: Oh, Jollytologist. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> How did you decide that humor was uh, important?
3: Well, it started out of uh, what some people call a tragedy. My wife uh, passed away at the age of 34, but she had a great sense of humor and I remember in the hospital, it's my signature story, and it's a wonderful story of how humor and tears are so close. But she was in the hospital, and she had a copy of Playgirl magazine with the male nude centiphone. She said, Alan, I really like this picture this month. Can you put it on the wall by the bed over there? And I said, "Ellen, it's a hospital. It's a little risque for that. And <laughs> she said, well, maybe you're right. So why don't you get a leaf from the plant and cover up that part? <laughs> <laughs> And I did that, and things were fine for the first day, fine for the second day, but by the third day, the leaves started shriveling <laughs> up. And, you know, we would come home from the hospital and just remember that one little moment, and then we would start to laugh. And it wasn't a lot of laughter, but it was maybe five or ten seconds, but it helped us rise above the situation gave us a little reprieve, and gave us that perspective that humor always does.
1: Right. And, and I bet the staff joined in, didn't they?
3: Oh, yeah. When they came in the room and looked at, you know, the shriveled-up leaf, of course. <laughs> so, um, you know, it helped people or laugh to help people around uh, someone who's seriously ill, too.
1: Right. Well, talk about looking for books after she died, and reading, and how you got into doing other things.
3: Right. I, um, you know, she was thirty-one when we found out she had a terminal illness. So it was three-year difficult three years, and after she died, I started looking for books on uh, grief, and they were big, fat books. 200, 300 pages. I didn't want to read all that. Most of them told me how I'd be depressed, how I'd lose my appetite, how I may not sleep. How, I, you know. And I thought, I don't need this kind of book. So years later, I wrote a book that I thought, if I was grieving, this is what I'd need. I'd want someone, a book that maybe held my hand as I'm going through this process that would give me inspiration and hope to live to the next day. And so I wrote Learning to Laugh, when you feel like crying. And it's about five stages going from loss to laughter. It's not a funny book, but it's an inspirational hold-your-hand book.
1: That's interesting, because uh, the Kubler-Ross stages are the five stages, and right. uh, she goes <laughs>
3: <laughs> And I thought, if she had five stages, I want five stages, but mine all begin with L. Uh-huh. Losing, learning, letting go, living, and finally laughing.
1: And, and it's, I've got it right here. It's a wonderful uh, book. And let's just go. Uh, give us some of the taste of what's in it.
3: Okay. Well, first, losing. I think at some point we need to realize that we have lost someone. You know, we can't deny that. Kubler Ross talks about denial, but at some point, and the other thing we need to realize that, as Woody Allen said, birth is a fatal disease. You know. <laughs> If you're born, you know you're going to die. I mean, I don't know anyone who hasn't yet. I think
1: he also said, I, I don't mind going to funerals as long as it's not my own. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Lots of great quotes about death and dying from Woody Allen. But at some point we, one, two things. One, we got to realize we're going to die at some point. And two, that what if we didn't die? What if nobody died? What would this world look like? I mean, we don't have enough people to. It food, would be the Walking
1: people. Dead, which is very popular. <laughs> yeah, <right> exactly, now. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking Steve Jobs. I think didn't uh, he gave a talk at. Um, yeah, uh, at Stanford. Yeah, what was it he said, Heidi, that uh death is the most brilliant invention ever.
3: Uh well, I think it's like nature's way of cleaning up the universe, you know, because it we it wouldn't make sense for uh, everyone live forever. And would you ever get anything done? No. <laughs> right. I have 800,000 years. Why would I get it done today? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. Heidi, what's your thought on that?
2: Well, I think I think like Alan said, would you ever get anything done because the fact that you know that you're not here forever creates some anxiety and and, and a certain amount of anxiety can be positive because it can propel us forward. Well, we want to leave our mark on the world and we want to accomplish things before we do die.
3: Yeah. And I think death of a loved one, certainly for me, when my wife died, I realized I have X amount of time left. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is. And if I want to share my knowledge or whatever with the world, I've got to do it. So the second is, so it's, it's, accepting their loss or losing, then learning. I think death is such a great teacher because we go along and things are fine. We don't learn. But once something like death or life-challenging illness hits us on the head, suddenly we're learning all these things. And We know. have
1: to stop and pay attention. Exactly. Whether we want to or not.
3: And, and to realize we need to enjoy our life while we're here. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, who is it? Um, Robin Williams, when he had the major heart attack and surgery, he said, it showed me to appreciate little things, like breathing. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think I think death really opens our eyes that, um, you know, this why are we here? And what am I going to do with my life? And to enjoy life every day, every moment. Mm-hmm. And I work a lot with hospice people, and I could see they, they're so, tears and laughter are so close. And, you know, they're my best audiences, because they know to laugh, that to enjoy themselves.
2: Um, well, I totally agree with you. But what would you say to our listeners out there that feel guilty when they're laughing because someone in their family has, has died?
3: Really interesting question, because when I was writing my second book, The Courage to Laugh, I interviewed people, and I would ask them, uh, how, do you want, how did your loved one, do you think your loved one wanted you to feel after they died? And nearly all of them said that I should have a good time, that I should enjoy life, that I should not uh, be, you know, mourn them for a long time. And, and so here they're saying this is what they think their loved one, their lost loved one wanted, and yet a lot of people feel guilty Uh, You know, like, how can you laugh at a time like this?
1: I I remember after my son was killed, it took me, I remember the day I laughed. I think it was probably three months. And I opened the Wall Street Journal and my husband's picture was there. And we were all so devastated that we didn't even think about it. And I just started to laugh when I I Uh, thought, this is so weird (laughs) that I didn't even know this. But it was funny because I heard my own laugh.
0: Oh, it was like a surprise. Yeah, yeah.
1: It was kind of like a tinkle of a bell or something.
3: Heidi, do you and Gloria, do you know the recent research is about two years old, uh, George Bonanno, in his, his book, uh, well, I can't remember the title, but they did a study for two years of spouses who lost someone and whether they laughed, had found some humor afterwards or not. And they found the spouses, the remaining spouse that found humor, did much better with the grieving process. For And they studied them two years after for two years than those who did not.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Um, Because I know, Heidi, I remember we laughed all the time after Scott died at the funeral and stuff that people would never laugh at. Do you remember that Heidi Heidi's dad was not happy with me because we were going to have a funeral. I wanted to have a funeral in our hometown so we had two funerals and and he laughed you know he laughed at the kids about taking the show on the road, you know. <laughs>
3: And
2: and, and humor has always been a big way of of coping in our family.
3: Well, humor is a way to cope. And so when people say, you know, I I feel guilty, maybe encourage them because and say, look, this is as much as tears are a great coping, laughter is also a a good coping mechanism. And to encourage that. Okay, so uh, losing, learning, letting go. You know, we can't. At some point, we got to let go. I remember when I was a hospice volunteer, there was this young woman in her 30s. Her mother had died, and I was with her for two years, and she was grieving for two years. And I realized there were two lives lost. The mother had died, and the daughter had stopped her life. So at some point, we need to let go of that loss and, and move on with our life.
1: How, how can I do that? You know, what if I'm thinking—I'm thinking—, I'm thinking I remember my husband and I went to Tootsie after, you know, finally. We went way away from home so nobody would know. We went to a movie theater far away. But, um, but we laughed. But, we you know, it was hard.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, and it is hard. But I think you've got to consciously say, okay, I need to put this behind me and move on. And find what makes you laugh. Be around people that make you laugh. I know with my wife, it was my daughter. You know, we were both sad, but we... And in fact, one thing I did right after my wife died a couple of months later, we went on a, a trip to Alaska, and we did seaplane rides, and we did the ferry system, and we did uh, staying overnight by a glacier on a small little boat. It was such a healing thing, and it was gave us a chance to be away from everything and to enjoy ourselves, and there was laughter, and there were tears, but it was... Uh, you just, you just have to kind of get away, and I think that's what humor does. It gives you that momentary yeah. vacation.
1: Heidi, do you remember when you left?
2: I don't remember the exact time, but I remember it's been part of my journey to heal. I mean, it's definitely been a very, very important. It's been so important that I met my husband a couple of years after my brother died, and the number one criteria for me to have a second date with him is that he, could, that he had a sense of humor. And, and luckily, he's funny, and he does, because that's gotten us through a lot of difficult times.
3: Yeah. And then the fourth stage is living. Just just start living again. Um, you know, a couple of my things in here are about uh, volunteering, helping others, uh. It'll help you to live again, uh, because you, you're so focused on yourself and your own loss. And... Uh,
1: yeah, that can really be a good step to to moving out. Just even even a small thing, knowing that you're giving giving something. Uh, and, you know, I know people who during the holidays or when it's a really hard time will volunteer to Soup Kitchen. Right. Yeah, you exactly. You know, just doing something for somebody yeah, else. And it's
3: so nurturing for you. <laughs> and the other thing is gratitude. What I'm finding, what I woke up to a couple of years ago was To be grateful for the not so great stuff in my life because I'm usually grateful for all the great stuff. So if you've had a loss, instead of focusing on what you've lost, what, what are you grateful for because they were in your life? right you know and focus on that not that they're not here
1: hey hadi talk a little bit about the research on gratitude cuz we talk a little bit about this when we
0: speak
2: ellen probably knows this the number they're showing that in the positive psychology research out of the university of pennsylvania that the number one way to shift your energy the quickest is gratitude yeah. Um, and you know, like you said, Aaron, we can we can do it every day, even in the smallest of ways. We can even say, "I'm grateful that I had gotten my life for 17 years."
3: And and so I, you know, those two things: giving back, to volunteering, you know, helping other people, and um, being grateful for what you have. Not. Uh, for what you don't have, you know, being upset what you don't have, are the two major things that people could go on and and live more with their life and not focus on the loss.
1: Right. And, you know, with gratitude, I want to say that... um there's big gratitude but there's also even I can open my eyes today and see. I can put my foot out of the bed, you know. Right, right. I I can stand up. I mean at the very beginning
3: that's I can go about out how the basic. House. Yeah. I, I can go to the park for a walk. I mean, yeah.
1: I'm actually able to listen to this show today.
3: Yeah. Just little things. It doesn't have to be anything major.
1: Right right.
3: And then the last of course is finally when you gotten through some of those the laughter, to look for the laughter, to to find friends that help you laugh, to go to a movie like Tootsie or you know, mm-hmm. or a favorite TV funny show, and just, just embrace the laughter.
1: And, and maybe you're going to make it uh, a task for you to do. I mean, something that you're going to commit to yourself that I will laugh. I will find something to make me laugh. Yeah.
3: And you know what I find, Gloria, is um, if I commit to someone else, mm, so good. if I calls a friend and say, you know, I need some laughter today. What can we do? Or you're a good joke teller. Tell me a joke or whatever. Um, yeah, make that commitment that every day you'll find one little bit of laughter.
1: Yeah, how do you talk about friends? Because we don't just need grieving friends, do we?
2: No, and I always thought we did, and that, that sets us up.
1: And bring um, us so, down.
2: Yeah, like you said, Ellen, some of, some of our friends need to give us a break from our grief. Maybe some of our friends are there to help us to laugh, to help us release, release our emotions through laughter rather than through crying. And some of our friends are the ones that we're going to agree with, but others are going to be the ones that might distract us, that might get us give us a break.
1: And I think sometimes we forget about those friends and say, oh, they're not listening to my son's death or my wife's death or whatever. Hey, get, cut them some slack and let yourself have some fun friends, just right, some people right. that make you laugh.
3: And they're trying to help you. They're trying to lift you up. So acknowledge that.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, Alan, tell us how we get your book and where your website oh, And I know God. you've done lots of books. and <laughs>
3: My website, www.allenkline.com, but you got to spell both names right, A-L-L-E-N-K-L-E-I-N.com. You can go to Amazon, put that name in, Alan Klein, and you'll see all the books. Uh, all 19 books are there. And uh, I hope they um, help you. That's why I write them.
1: And if you need a fabulous speaker for your organization, <laughs> and one who's a lot of fun, it's going to bring laughter and I, I know he does a lot of work with hospice and those kind of things, but any of women's organizations, anything going on, he will bring, He'll lift your spirits and bring some delight.
3: Have giggles. We'll travel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, oh, Alan, thank you so much for being on the show today and for coming in. And I uh, just love you. You're such a great guy.
3: Thank you. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Alan.
1: All right. And thanks for listening today, and God bless.
0: You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Doctors Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at OpenToHope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's OpenToHope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open To Hope Radio. Remember. Others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.